1 Kings 11, verses 26 to 40. We'll read that together. Speaking of the adversaries against the Lord, we also read now of another adversary from within the kingdom. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerida, the servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give it to you, ten tribes." Yet to his son I will give one tribe, that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes, by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you, and I will build you a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon." Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we just read together a long time ago, there was an ambitious young man named Jeroboam, a man of standing, who lived in Ephraim, which was a northern part of the kingdom of Israel, while Solomon was king. Solomon had already recognized Jeroboam's capability from his contribution to the building of the supporting terraces around Jerusalem and had put him in charge of all the forced labor of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. As Jeroboam left Jerusalem one day at this time, he may have been reflecting on the so-called golden age he was living in and how it looked like at that time all of everything was seemed to be falling apart. In any case, our text tells us that on his way out of Jerusalem, 
he met a prophet named Ahijah, who also came from the same state, same province, Ephraim, in the town of Shiloh. And the two of them talked alone in the countryside. And then as Jeroboam watched, the old prophet tore his cloak. And Jeroboam could hear his somber words. And it was clear that nothing would be the same for Israel again. The prophecy of Ahijah was, was huge in the history of Israel. The peaceful empire of the great King Solomon would be torn apart. The empire of wealth and fame would succumb to the immense pressure it was under. God would let the country be fractured. God would tear it in two. The hammer of God's covenant wrath was falling on the heads of one of the most famous servants in the history of Israel. And although the political implications of Ahijah's prophecy for the nation of Israel were undeniable, when we look at them, they don't concern us too much today. That was a long time ago. Kingdoms fall and rise all the time. And God did not reveal these things to us to, in the first place, teach us about Israelite history, but He revealed these things to teach us about Himself and the salvation that He obtains for us. How can the division of the kingdom so long ago point to Jesus Christ? Well, in political and economic terms for Israel, it was not good. In community and social terms, it was not good. But since God was dealing with the people in the promised land, the land where the Savior would be born, in the eyes of God, in, in spiritual ways incalculable by the unbeliever, the division of the kingdom that we read about in our text that made it necessary for Ahijah to tear the garment he was wearing was pure grace. We read this text, we, we see the grace of God. And as we pay attention to God's work of maintaining the enmity that He established between the children of the serpent and the children of the promise so that He might preserve a remnant of faithful believers even in the midst of much disobedience, we see today the gospel of the torn cloak in a context of sinfulness and rebellion. It is only the power of God that preserved the lamp, Jesus Christ, that would bring light and life to everyone who believes in Him. And I preach to you the Gospel under this theme, Ahijah tore his garment because of God's plan to save us in Christ. We'll see that God keeps His promise to punish King David's unfaithful sons and to bring light through King David's faithful son. In our lives, we often discover that there is never a time that we are free from temptation, the magnificent pole of sin on our lives. As we were singing through the Psalms that spoke of that, even speaking of a nation growing fat and sleek and then right away kicking against the Lord, we can identify with that. The darkness of sin seems to be continually crouching at our door as it seeks to rule over us. Although we are given so much in our lives directly from the hand of God, 
we often forget about the riches of God and we head off in all the wrong directions. Solomon knew what that struggle was like. And if you compare 1 Kings 3, verse 3, the beginning of his ministry, with 1 Kings 11, verse 1, you could see that the heart that once loved the Lord now turned from the Lord and began to love many foreign women. His desire to please his foreign wives led him to pay tribute to the detestable foreign gods. We read about such as Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was a goddess who encouraged sexual immorality and sensual pleasure. He turned to the gods Chemosh and Milcom, also known as Molech, gods who included human sacrifice, including the sacrificing of children as part of their worship. In today's terms, we could say that Solomon had turned away from his love of the Lord and his exclusive worship of the one true God as he, in, he delved into, he became enslaved into the sins of pornography and adultery. And he was even willing to condone killing of children, human sacrifice in order to cater to the selfish desires of the ungodly who lived in the land of promise that he was ruling. And in Scripture, a word play is used for each of these gods, so they sound similar to the word shame or abomination. It's repeated. We read abomination several times. That's, that's where Solomon was, in this shame, in this degradation, this abomination, this slavery. And we stand back, we see that, we think not even King Solomon, the so-called golden covenant child, the one who had spoken with God, the one who had been blessed with wisdom and riches and honor, not even he was immune. It's a humbling message. And before we look with contempt and disgust at Solomon's sins, we need to see how often our sinful natures make us long for the very same things. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, when Paul reminds us of all those who put Christ to the test in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit tells the church, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And brothers and sisters, we must humbly confess that we are not immune to the pressures of society to give in to sexual temptation, to sacrifice our children on the altar of worldly success, to begin loving the world more than the Lord. We are reminded of our Lord Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane as we read through this passage when he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And the striking thing in our text is that Solomon gave in to all these temptations in his old age. We don't cross the finish line of the Christian struggle against sin when we hit 40 or 60 or 80. 
And in many cases, it's precisely when we hit our later years, when all those sins that we have pushed down are hidden for so many years that they they catch up to us. That's when we're faced with some of the strongest and fiercest spiritual struggles in our lives. Are we in danger of repeating Solomon's sins by loving the worldly delights of the lives that we have made for ourselves rather than uh, that we love those delights more than the Lord? Do we still humble ourselves before God in honest confession of our sins as we get older? Or have we become insensitive to the many ways that we sin against Him in our lives? Maybe the things we've said or the way that we, we treat other people. Well, in His grace in the text today, the Lord reveals the consequences of such rebellion. It's a wake-up call for us in all ages, whether we're young people facing these temptations, whether we're older people facing these temptations. And He warns God's people, just like He did to Solomon, so that we might yet humble ourselves before Him in repentance. When we read through the first verses of chapter 11, you'll see that the Lord told Solomon exactly what he could expect because of his rebellion and his sins. When Ahijah came to talk to to Jeroboam, Solomon could have actually told Ahijah the prophecy that he could give to Jeroboam because Solomon had just heard the Lord warn him. Ahijah's prophecy confirmed that since Solomon had failed to heed the Lord's warnings. God was going to go ahead with the plan that he had already announced to Solomon. The 12 pieces of the cloak, they represented that new garment he was wearing. It represented the 12 sons of Israel in the promised land, the 12 tribes. The, The Lord would tear 10 of the tribes away from Solomon and he would give them to Jeroboam. And with one tribe unaccounted for in Ahijah's prophecy, which was perhaps Simeon's tribe that had been scattered throughout Judah, or perhaps Benjamin's tribe whose loyalties were divided between the north and the south. The message was clear that only Judah would be left as an inheritance for Solomon's son Rehoboam. And although a historian might be tempted to explain this promised division as a mere development of the tensions between the north and the south that had already existed way back in the time of the judges, and then which became more evident when the northern kingdom took seven more years than Judah to recognize David as king, and then those northern kingdoms had joined with Absalom in rebellion against David, tensions that would have been provoked by Solomon who charged heavy taxes on all the tribes except Judah. The historian could say, well, this is obvious that this was going to happen politically. The Bible tells us that the division came not because of history developing itself, but it was a result of Solomon's sins. It was a punishment because Solomon refused to keep the covenant and the statutes that the Lord had commanded. It was a punishment. And the Lord's punishment of Solomon reveals to us today what we can expect 
if we persist in sins against the commandments of the Lord. Because the Lord is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his covenant promises. If he promises to punish disobedience against his commands, no matter who you are, even if you are the richest, wisest king in the earth, God will fulfill his word. And Peter warns the church specifically, struggling with the temptations of the world. He says in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And our text makes it clear that that if our hearts turn from loving the Lord to loving this world, then the rules, the, the rules of God's covenant demand that we be cursed. Brothers and sisters, we need to think of the the consequences of the choices that we face. It might look like something fun to do, but remember the words of the Lord. Don't make light of what God has said. When you see that darkness encroaching in your own lives, see the, the temptation of sexual impurity or that selfish desire to get more things, to to live a more comfortable life, when you feel the the pressure of society to conform, the temptations to to give up the truth to just please other people, understand the consequences of these sins. Hear our text. Stand up. Resist the devil. Know well that there is no good apart from God and his covenant promises. Remember the words that you were just singing together this morning. There's no life apart from his law. There's no hope apart from his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Because God keeps his promise to bring light through David's faithful son. When King Saul, king that was reigning before David, When he sinned against the Lord, you can read in 1 Samuel 15, verses 27 and 28, that the Lord tore the entire kingdom away from him and his children. But then when King Solomon sinned, God did not take the entire kingdom away from him. It's really important to note that Ahijah didn't give his entire new garment to Jeroboam, but Ahijah tore the garment And he kept one piece back. And the Lord explained why he did this in the text we read. It was for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose. It's for the sake of Solomon's father, King David, who had remained righteous in God's sight in spite of all his heinous sins because he confessed his sins. He always turned to the Lord for forgiveness. His heart remained on the Lord. He trusted in God's promise to bring a Messiah in the line of promise, to crush the serpent, to save all who believed in him. And David also believed the, the Lord's promise that he would raise up this messianic king in David's own family as one of his descendants. We sang about that promise in Psalm 89, and we'll sing about it again in Psalm 132. And you can read about that promise in 1 Samuel 7. And in this context of the promise of the coming Messiah through David's line, the Lord assures David that although his sons would be disciplined, 
and they would be punished for their iniquity. God's steadfast love would never depart from His promised Son. And David could know that His throne would be established forever through this very special descendant. King David is mentioned in Ahijah's prophecy as the reason for tearing the robe and only giving ten of the twelve pieces to uh, to Jeroboam. And David is mentioned not because David was so good, but David is mentioned because God had chosen him to be the man through whom he would bring the Savior of the world. When God said that He would show mercy for David's sake, we understand as we sang together in Psalm 89 that He is really doing it for the sake of His own name and His faithfulness to His promise to be gracious to undeserving sinners who turn to Him in trust like David had done. Well, today we know that the the great son of David whom the Lord promised is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent from heaven. Ahijah tore his garment, and he kept one piece back for the sake of Jesus Christ, who would be born in the line of David. The Lord compared that one piece of the garment that pointed to the coming of the promised Messiah to a lamp that would always remain before the Lord in Jerusalem the city where he had chosen to put his name. And just as the lamps before the Lord in the temple were always kept burning, so in that piece of garment and in that line of David, the people of God would always have hope in God's grace. And in that line that led to Christ, we see also our only hope and source of, our only source of all hope. And brothers and sisters, as we reflect on this, we see the character uh, and the unconditional love of the God we worship. Immediately after we fell into sin, and even now as we continue to struggle with the, the temptations around us, God promised to bring a Savior who would bear the punishment that we deserve for our sins. A King who would rule in His eternal kingdom forever. And it was because of this promise that Ahijah tore his cloak so many years ago. For God would not allow his church to be swallowed up by, the, by evil and the devil. There in that leftover peace was the line of the promise. There in the tribe of Judah was the hope of the Messiah. Christ was promised in the one piece of the torn garment that God had preserved. He gave hope like a a lamp shining in the darkness of rebellion and unfaithfulness. And He was the fruit of the faithful remnant whom God spared through the exile all the way to the day when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in the line of David. And today... You see how the situation has changed. That great son of David was born. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he has come. He has walked among us. He has preached the good news of God's grace and forgiveness that he had so clearly revealed to his servant David. 
Christ himself died on a cross already to pay for the sins of anyone who believes in him. Whoever bows before him as Savior and Lord. He continues to sit on David's throne today until the the kingdom that was once represented by one piece of a garment that had been torn in 12 pieces, until that kingdom grows and fills all the earth and there will be no other king to serve, no other kingly line to hope in. He continues, Jesus Christ continues to shine in all the earth until the kingdom which was represented for a time by a flickering lamp in in Palestine, in Jerusalem, that kingdom will shine like the sun and fill the universe. And the announcement of that gospel, it always comes with an urgent call to receive God's grace with a humble and believing hearts. Jeroboam was told if he too would submit himself to God's plan, And do what God commanded. He too could could share in the fullness of this kingdom. Solomon learned the privilege of being the human ancestor of Jesus Christ that was given to the covenant people of God in the Old Testament came with the responsibility of obeying God's commandments and trusting in His grace without turning away to, to run after the world. And as Jeroboam learned when the privilege of sharing in God's saving work was extended outward to people outside the line of promise, the Lord urges us today to understand that just because we are grafted into the church by God's grace, this doesn't grant us immunity from God's covenant wrath against those who persist in their sins. If you read Romans 11, you can see how the apostle clearly explains all this. Even though we know that it was God's sovereign will to allow us to be a part of His covenant people, that we were even baptized. Even though we know that it is God's sovereign will that we can enter into God's divine majesty through His Son, Jesus Christ, and in His righteousness by faith, we must also understand then That if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in our hearts, we will always seek to govern our lives according to His will. No matter how we got to be in the church of Jesus Christ, the Lord continues to call us by His Spirit and Word to, to love Him above everything else. To listen to what He commands us. To walk in His ways. To do what is right in his eyes do you hear his call to you do you see how much you need the lord in your life do you see why we pray for his grace and his spirit to guide us every day of our lives brothers and sisters the gospel of ahijah's torn robe is that god is just and that god is merciful He punishes those who turn from Him in rebellion, but He never stops offering hope in the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. He wants to live with us in peace and fellowship today and forevermore. And so He made it possible for us through faith in Jesus Christ. 
He warns us even today not to take our privileged position for granted so that we are only, so that we're not only his children on the outside, but that we are truly disciples who love him in our hearts. And he urges us to turn to him in daily confession of our sins so that we might share in the saving work of that great lamp, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who had already been promised so many years ago in the Old Testament. As the Lord explains in 1 Kings 11, verse 39, although he may afflict the offspring of David for a time because of their sins, he will not afflict them forever. The display text that we read as we walked in this morning, it summarizes our text and in fact the gospel in a most powerful way. The Lord, the Lord, He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. As we see that, we thank the Lord for sending the promised Messiah to bear that punishment that we deserve so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins, so that we might turn to Him with all our hearts and and share in Christ's righteousness before the Father, the Lord of His church, the shepherd who will lead us by His Spirit in all obedience. The darkness still encroaches even when we get older. But the lamp of Christ continues to shine in everyone's, the lives of everyone who turns to Christ in repentance and faith. And one day all the darkness will be vanquished forever. May we walk in the light of His life today and forever. Amen.